Special thanks to D9 for providing the music for this episode and many of our previous episodes. We were lucky enough to grab several of those and put them together as the music bed for our episodes that we're doing here about Candyman and Hannibal. I wanted to thank him for the spooky tones and music that he's bringing in. He also wrote our James Bond theme in season one. So just a shout out to D9. Go check out his live stream on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. Go check it out every day. Go give him a like, subscribe, and leave him some comments and tell him what beats you like. This one is called Sliding. It's one of my favorites. It's one of his most viewed right now. Go and have a listen. And thanks to D9 for providing our music. At Push My Buttons Podcast, you can get all the gaming news, as well as information on latest releases and game reviews. You can also watch us play some of your favorite games, everything from Sonic the Hedgehog to God of War, on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on all the social media and listen on all of your favorite apps. Just search for Push My Buttons Podcast. Think of the children! Kiss Your Trade Franchise Goodbye. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye. A very special, very different kind of episode because for, I think, is this the first time we've ever talked about a TV show as part of a franchise? I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, And definitely the only time where, uh, spoiler alert... Uh, the TV show is going to outshine a lot of the cinematic outings in For the sure. franchise. Uh, we're talking about Hannibal season one. That um, was such a cheery intro to this this show, too, Andy. You were so cheery. I'm like, this, that's creepy. I'm excited to talk about this. Show. Well, wow, maybe that's so creepy. Good. I'm excited to talk about Hannibal season one. <laughs> From from my basement, from my well, <laughs> plenty of aftercare. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I'm I'm Andy Wilson. We have a, a great a great crew here. Uh, JB, you're here. Welcome. Thank glad you. to glad to have you here. The, and of the course, Han- the Hannibal to your Will Graham. Nice to see you, my friend. Oh, oh wow. I don't know if I. <laughs> Um, I, I think the the Alana Bloom of 
of our podcast, though, returning champ Melissa Martinez. You returning champ. Um, I don't know if I want to be Alana all the time in this show with all the things that happen to her, but I'll take it for now. For season one. For definitely. season one, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Brooke, I don't know where that leaves you. Are you Freddie Lowndes? Do you want to be Freddie Lowndes? That's fitting for Freddie. I no, I'm here. Hello. Okay. So so yes, Freddie. Yes, Freddie. We'll you'll go with it. We'll, we'll just go with it. We'll go with it. Sure. Sure. So wow what a tv show so um when some of us uh i think only just saw this in preparation for this podcast others of us might have watched it when we when it first came out what was everyone's experience coming into this show you mean had Um, you had you seen it before yeah yeah did people watch this week to week when it first came out or i did yeah, yeah because I, I was a, I'm a big fan of the creator, Brian Fuller, because he did this yeah. show called Pushing Daisies, which I absolutely oh, adore. Show. Wonderful show. And um, so, yeah, I was like, I'm going to try this. You know, we're, we're going to see what happens. And it I mean, it was great. I, you know, I, I kept coming back week after week. There were a few lulls that we'll talk about later, but it really captivated me in a way that I was not expecting from an NBC show. It, you know, it, it went way beyond what I expected. Yeah, me too. I, I remember when this first came out, I was I was kind of off and on with it. I did not watch it from the beginning. It's like, okay, yes, Brian Fuller. I love Pushing Daisies. But like, do I really want a Hannibal Lecter TV series? And it's a prequel series? I don't know. And then people kept talking about this show is pushing insane boundaries and you have to watch it. I don't know how they're getting away with this on network TV. And I'm like, okay, so I guess I got to check this out. And I stopped and started with this show several times. Really? Because it was, well, it was so hard to watch. It's, it's like, um, I have still found it that way. Yeah. There's so much murder. And like, uh, I had to stop after the angel episode. Okay. I had to stop after the totem pole episode. I fell asleep during the totem pole episode and that was a bad night. Mm. Yeah. You don't want to fall asleep with that in the background. No, definitely not. So did you, did you fall asleep before the, the Lance Henriksen reveal at the end. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that was that. That like kind of made it all worth it. I was like, oh my gosh! I'm like, what's going on? Well, this so. is my first time experiencing it, yeah. and and it's been hard for me. Like, I don't, I don't. I mean, we've talked about this. I don't watch a lot of violence. I don't watch a lot of gore and things. And these episodes are very intense. Like, I actually feel will a lot yeah. like yeah. i understand why he's being devoured by his job i couldn't do it yeah i, I can imagine as an empath i, I mean I, I had to stop after every two or three episodes just just to breathe right because it's not something you can binge watch i think if right if you're looking at it but I, you know i imagine if if you have more of an empath mindset it's really easy to take a lot of this show on 
right? Because you start feeling for some of the characters and, and what they're put in. Um, you know, Andy, I, I came to Brian Fuller through through Dead Like Me. Uh, which oh, yeah. Is my second yeah. favorite Mandy Patinkin role, obviously, after Princess Bride. Um, but I, I love his just fascination with death and what he does with it. And, and, and I think what he does better in the series than what he what the movies do is he, he kind of spins death differently right like the the death is not supposed to be grotesque in its own way but rather what death does to the people who are left right yeah like like what it does to will and what it does you know his whole transition through season one i think is the best part like the acknowledgement and and those kinds of things so i don't think someone other than brian fuller would have pulled that off as well um you know the the inevitability of death and and what it does to the psyche and what it does to people around you so i i'm really glad that um they they let him do this rather than than somebody else but i i'm with brooke i had to i had to stop take a walk um you know watch sarah and duck right instead something like that sarah and duck yeah i mean i started knowing that this was going to be hard for me i started re-watching this like a month and a half ago to be ready i should have done that because i yeah. didn't know yeah. i'm like i know this is going to be hard to get through um so yeah this is but I think the way that Melissa did it, like being able to have it week by week and then have breaks between seasons was probably the way it was intended to be watched. Definitely. Yeah, and I don't, no doubt. I don't, Melissa, I don't think there were, there weren't too many cliffhangers at the end of these. So I, I feel like you, you can, you know, some shows you can't, you're like, there's too many cliffhangers, right? You gotta, you want to go back to back. This one I thought was pretty good with that, where you could stop the, the episode and take a week off and come back. Yeah, and you need you don't need cliffhangers in a show that's this intense. I think um, because it, it it is hard to watch sometimes. And I think if it had been like on Netflix or something, that might have been an issue, you know, because people would have tried to binge it like they might normally do, and that just won't work. It's it's too heavy to do. Um, but you need that time that week in between to like ponder what happened and. and, and even though the show can be overly ponderous of itself at times, I think, which maybe leads to some of the boredom um, that some people experience in certain parts. Um, but yeah, doing this in a bingey way, that's got to be hard. You know, I, I sort of binge. I did I did it in like three sections rewatching this um, so that I could refresh my mind. Um, and, and I remember distinctly thinking, God this is okay I can handle three or four episodes in a row because I know what's going to happen already so there's no more shock value there really but it I I could totally see how people would just you know it's very grisly and and that's got to be hard to, yeah. to watch you know in a row like that I would not recommend doing that yeah for sure um Melissa I'm interested so I kind of felt like episode eight maybe ten there were some parts that I went, I, the second time watching it, I was like, I can fast forward these. Yeah. These parts. That's were, the part that I, that sagged for me too. Okay. So <laughs> was there any particular, I, I kind of felt like they kept straying from the point because they had to fill time. Was there any particular part 
because you you've mentioned the same thing was there any part that you kind of felt really dragged it down or or was it it was it there was an arc yeah for me it was the miriam lass arc okay um all that stuff with miriam lass felt extraneous like i to me the reason why they did this is it's twofold one she seems like a cheap knockoff of um clary starling right and and here's the thing i i don't know if uh we may have mentioned this somewhere before like when we're talking about the tv show clary's i think i might have mentioned it um they did not have the rights to clary starling for this show so they could not do the science of the lambs arc at all um so I, I felt like that's sort of what they were trying to do here. That That's the first reason. The second is they needed more women. Even turning Freddie Lowndes from a male like he was in the books in the previous movies into a female, there's still a, a big shortage of women compared to men in this series. So I think maybe that was another reason. Mm-hmm. Third, I think that she's supposed to humanize Jack Crawford. Ah, good point. And yeah. because he to make him seem concerned, like he's mourning her loss and didn't know what happened to her, and you know it was implied that she was dead, and like like it haunted him or whatever to make it seem like he has feelings other than anger. Because quite honestly, up to that point, I feel like Jack Crawford was not just a dick, but but he was you know endangering Will, and he was he didn't seem to care that much. Yeah. Um, and I thought this was supposed to like soften him and make him seem more human, but I didn't buy it, you know? And I don't think it's because of the actor. It's, it's not his acting. I just think the character, you know, he, he's, he's not that smart, but he's smart enough to know that he needs will. He can't do this on his own. Right. and so he needs Will, and so he just keeps sending him out, sending him out. And, um, you know, he asked him, are you okay? Well, you don't ask the person you're concerned is not okay if they're okay. Because, they're, you know, he's going to keep telling you he's okay, even when it's clear he's not, you know? And so he just didn't seem very concerned that way, but he's concerned with Miriam. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I It mm. didn't ring true to me. Yeah. And and so I, I, I got that. quite bored and it took away from you know other stuff that I would have rather have seen like like Will and Hannibal, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's for me when it really sagged. So yeah. So and and I'm I'm wondering about this, Melissa, because the whole thing with his wife mm. with I, I couldn't figure out because like that he's so discordant, right? So, because you got the same read that I did, where it's like, gosh, this guy really doesn't care about anyone. And this Miriam Lass is just a red herring, right? Right. Um, but then the whole thing with, they bring his wife in with the lung cancer and, oh, now he's soft and tenderhearted and they smoke weed together or whatever it is. Like, what? <laughs> I, I got really torn with this Jack Crawford character and I didn't know if you kind of got the same thing. I just, I was like, what, what did the wife have to do with it if he can't figure out like is he supposed to be learning as a character or something i'm not sure yeah i i was confused by that too because i started to wonder if maybe he has like a 
some kind of like dissociative thing where like like he could be tender and loving with his wife and then be just a dick to the rest of the world because that does happen sometimes sure um but they didn't really show enough of their relationship to really figure that out you know um and when he was telling hannibal the story like of how they met and stuff it sounded like a beautiful story but it also sounded very rehearsed to me like you know they're putting up a facade or something to make it seem like they had this great romance and right. maybe did or didn't i don't know i do think his wife truly loved him though um oh, yeah that was pretty obvious and the fact that those two were married at the time in real life i think they're divorced now but at the time they were still married i think you could kind of see that you know like i think that carried over onto the screen um that oh. affection but it didn't humanize him enough for me because he he have dinner and he you know ask her what she needed and they'd have these conversations and then he'd go and send an obviously mentally ill man out into the field knowing it could destroy you. Um, I felt like they couldn't make up their mind. Like, were they trying to paint him as a narcissist who is rehearsed in his telling of their romance and who has like little caring for other people or is he someone who used to be caring for his wife and Miriam and has been hardened by the job. And so now he sends Will out without any disregard. Like, I felt like they were straddling both of those without really committing to one or the other. And I, I wish they would have committed to one or the other. Is he a narcissist who really just doesn't care and is destroying his marriage and really is only interested in his wife because he wants to be like, having sex and wants to procreate because he thinks that he is worth having little minions around? Or is he someone who is actually distraught inside and doesn't know how to get back to being the person he was before he took this job? It, it felt like they did a good job of showing where Will was and Hannibal, but they sort of dropped the ball on Jack. Yeah, and I think, I think Jack works best as a foil for Will and as a foil for Hannibal, where Will is set up where his empathy is his superpower, his ability to get inside someone's mind and see things from their perspective. Hannibal is in many ways the same way, but he only cares about getting inside people's minds so he can fuck with them. Uh, Jack Crawford doesn't care about seeing things from anyone else's perspective at all every single person is a transaction and every single relationship is completely transactional i give you this you give me that that's it there's there's nothing beyond that and i think that works really well where you have jack crawford as someone who only sees other people as instruments and tools that he can use. And then Will is the opposite of that. And when you try to humanize that Jack Crawford, I'm just like, okay, but I'm kind of less interested in that character when we go that way. It's not that I want him to just be a heartless bastard, but I think thematically it works better if you just let him be like maybe not like a full-blown narcissist but just someone who 
who doesn't who doesn't care uh and 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 is in this job for very different reasons than why will is and um i i think the the conversation i i can't remember if it's in episode two or three but i i feel like really sets the tone for uh what what all of this is when they're talking with freddie lounds about uh psychopaths and which jobs attract psychopaths the most and law enforcement psychiatrists and journalists are all on that list and freddie's like well we're just psychopaths helping psychopaths aren't we it's like yeah okay that's what this show is i get it i kind of love it when it's willing to wear that on its sleeve and i think that's when it works um yeah and andy i'm I'm wondering about that because so hannibal's biggest problem is is his hubris right he's he's isolated he's alone because he thinks he's better than anyone and he can't he can't connect because he has no equal right your your point of jack crawford in some ways i didn't see him as any different than hannibal right because mm-hmm. he believes yeah. he's so i'm wondering to your point that you made earlier what what do you see as the difference between the jack crawford character and the hannibal character and i mean that more in the terms of what is the show trying to do by by creating such a relationship between these two people is it trying to show that hannibal is worse you know what i mean like i i was really interested in that because i'm like why does jack crawford keep going over there to dinner Right? Why do they keep going to him for psychiatry? They're the same character in a lot of ways, right? They're both um, superior, right? All this kind of thing. So I wondered what you you brought that up, and I wondered what you thought about that. Is what's the similarity, or I guess the difference between? Uh, I mean, I think they they both do like to show off a little bit, and they do see each other as you know intellectual equals in a lot of ways and you know Hannibal's whole thing is like I mean potentially I mean I don't know that we know this 100% but he's probably feeding him uh, you know human meat in, in some of those dishes it's at least implied and I think Hannibal like gets a kick out of that um but i I, and i think jack crawford enjoys it because it's like oh here's a guy who i don't have to pay who like helps me like do my job and get things done better and uh he's the support system for my meal ticket and you know i want to i i want to keep him happy um again it's it's just everything is about a transaction and it's like i'm i'm doing this because i can i can get something out of it um that's that's my that's my sort of take on yeah almost like a tug of war between who has the most detail about will yeah because like hannibal wants he keeps jack around to get more like all of their conversations center eventually on how it ties into will because as we'll probably talk about that's the big crux of season one is this relationship right between the two of them right Um, and it's almost like this in some cases it feels like this really subtle tug of war where 
you know, Jack's going, well, I know this, what do you know? Right. And the, and the back and forth about that. So I did like that. Um, even, even when they were doing the, the side counseling and stuff, there was always that undertow of which one of us is most superior and who will likes the most. Kind and of. not only that too, but I think, you know, Hannibal, Hannibal likes to use people and he likes to spin them up and throw them at each other yeah, to see nice. what will happen just because he's curious. I think Jack Crawford, he doesn't like to spin people up and throw people at each other, but he does like to have people that he can throw at things and problems so that they will go out and solve them. Okay. And um, Hannibal wants to do it because he's curious. He's interested. What will happen if I throw Will and um, and oh, I can't remember the name of the the cello guy. Um, oh yeah, it's not Franklin. Oh. Um, uh, it's Franklin's friend. The guy in yeah, Franklin's eight, uh, or episode eight. Shoot. Uh, Keep thinking Cameron, and that's not it. Uh, Tobias. Tobias. When he, yeah, he, he like wants to throw Will and Tobias at each other because he's like, I wonder what will happen. And yeah. no matter what happens, I will be amused. <laughs> so, and he doesn't care. Um, Jack Crawford's like, I want to throw Will at this totem pole mystery because I want... I want it to be known that like my FBI unit, you know, solves these cases and gets shit done. And my name continues to be on my museum of evil minds and people know me and, uh, you know, there, there is a certain amount of ego in it. So it's like ego versus curiosity, I think okay. is still motivating them, but they still use people instrumentally. Well, I also feel like the show itself, like there's something really beautiful about showing the same characters on supposed opposite ends. Like one is supposedly the good guy and one is supposedly the bad guy. But by showing them in these scenes together and being the same and like having the same sort of disgust for both of them makes you have to wonder and question why. Why is one good and one bad? Well, obviously one's killing people and eating them. That's bad. Um, but what else is there to that? Where, where's the depth go? And how do we determine, is he really a good guy? Because he's not. He's garbage, yeah. I think. But I, I like those scenes together because it makes you look at them and start questioning yourself on what you use to determine someone's depth and motivation and who they really are inside and then really look at why you accredit them with certain attributes. Yeah. I mean, you can have a lawful good and a chaotic evil character, both working towards the same goals. And that's essentially what we have. Um, and I, I don't know. It's, it's just a lot of fun. This show is like incredibly well thought out in terms of, you know, how they were trying to doing that and to the point of where this conversation started the show starts to lull when they move away from that right. formula right so now also yeah. did y'all ever get the idea that and i think this is true of a lot of serial killers it's like they're daring you 
to catch them. It almost like totally. they want to get caught. And I think yep. that's part of it. Because why else would a serial killer work with the freaking FBI? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, absolutely. When he says to Will, do you think you could be that close to them and not see them? It was like, mm -hmm. he's baiting him. Yeah. And not and only... Yeah. Oh, go oh ahead. no! I, actually, this isn't my favorite quote part, but that one scene at the beginning, when he he brings Will breakfast and he's like, Will kind of flippantly says, "You know, I don't find you that interesting." And Hannibal's like, "You will." Like you know yeah. that was if somebody said that to me, that would give me a lot of pause. Like, what do you mean? You know, um, there's just all these little things that happens. You know that it's like he's almost wants to get caught. And so, and Will is the only one who could, who can. So I, 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 I always saw him like, like Hannibal thinks he's outside the cage, and Will is the hamster, and he's just kind of leading him into the wheel. Um, and his hubris doesn't allow him to see that that even though he's kind of going crazy, he can, you know, he is the one who could catch him. You know, he is the one who could put him behind bars. Um, so that's, I think that's why they focus so much on that main relationship. Also, I just think Brian Fuller likes homoeroticism in, in his work. <laughs> um, so that was, that was part of it too. Um, you know, but, but yeah, uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that they should stay focused mostly on that, I think. Um, because yeah, it did lull when they started in about like Jack's wife or or especially the Miriam last part for me it it yeah it, it just there there were parts it's not a perfect season of television but it's it's really enjoyable and a lot of fun I think there are like eight perfect episodes in this yeah. 13 uh, yeah. episode run I think they could have made this 10 and it would have been a lot more solid and just more cohesive and less of the things that we didn't like too much, you know, yeah. but, but Brian Fuller can be very ponderous, you know, um, like he, he created Star Trek discovery, a show, which I absolutely love, but that first season when he was still in charge, cause apparently he got fired sometime during the first season. Um, and I, I think there were parts that went too long that were too ponderous, you know, and from what I understand with Hannibal, um, they had production delays because of that. Like, yeah. be a bit of a perfectionist and stuff. Yep. Gotta get that, uh, gotta get those vocal cords looking just right in that cello scene, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, one of these episodes didn't air in the U.S., I, this is interesting. Episode number four, the one with Molly Shannon, where the the kids are going around murdering oh, the parents. Oh, interesting. I loved that episode. Yeah, I thought that was, I'm like, that was too far. That was the one that, like, NBC standards and practices were like, no, no, no. We can't have children shooting their own mothers. Like, that's, that's well, too I, much. I felt like that one kind of wrapped it up in a bow too quick too it was kind of like oh now they're at the house and now it's over like i i kind of felt like the exposition ended too quick i'm i'm sure that's not why they pulled it but um i i guess now that i think about it i kind of wanted more of that episode because it did it 
she was a she was a great character in a great role and it just kind of ended you know like how did they get to the house so quick and oh now she's shot in the shoulder oh okay well now we'll never see her again yeah um, and i think that show suffers from that a little bit it's too much quick exposition melissa to your point to get back to the to the main concern of the show right well, it was falling into this rut of becoming a regular procedural where it's like, we're going to do one case a week. Right. And it was really the most interesting when it was talking about the the overarching thing, the, the issue with uh, Abigail Hobbs and, um, and, and the just mind fucking going on between Hannibal and Will. That like that's the interesting part. And uh, the more we focused on each individual case, it's like less interesting. So, um, so, and and you know, Melissa, we talked about this earlier. And and, and question for all of you: What is the, um, what was your perception of the value of the Alana Bloom character? Like in the sense of driving the plot along. You know, at first, I don't think she really had that much. But somewhere it, during the season, as Will started to lose it more and more, because he, he went untreated, because Hannibal knew he was sick and didn't say anything, um, which was just crazy and infuriating. But um, Man, I, right? I, oh. <laughs> but I feel like um, she had to be his champion. And especially the way it yeah. ended with Will being framed you know um somebody has to believe him somebody has to kind of be his champion and i feel like maybe that's kind of the role that she filled because honestly during the first season she didn't have a ton to do it's not till seasons two and three that you really start to see her be something other than like you know um like will's defender basically um which which is sad because there's so few women you know but um you know you gotta i i guess i guess it's better than having one less woman to have one that we're not (laughs) i mean you know it's sad that we even have to have these conversations but that's just how it is on tv unfortunately um you know there's just still not enough you know female characters unless it's that you know What's that show that just ended? Why the Last Man or something like oh, that? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Maybe the oh. only the TV show on TV that that the women out outnumber the men <laughs> by a lot. Um, and then you only get seven episodes. Sorry. Yeah, it got oh, canceled geez. right away, right? So. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's infuriating. What I, that's what I wanted because yeah. I went right into season two and I went, oh, this this character has a lot going on like you said, in season two and three. And mm-hmm. I remember going, it would have been nice to, yeah, I mean, nobody listens to her in season one. And that's the other part that annoys me. Like you said, that there's nothing more infuriating than to know that he got encephalitis from feeding him human flesh and somehow Hannibal can buy off every Hippocratic oath-taking person to, to oh, this is a s- experiment, right? We can write a case study on this. No, like, stop it. That's not... As soon as he gets in the MRI machine, five people should be looking at this, right? Mm-hmm. Hiding those results. And right. and I felt like 
it, I, I would have really liked for her to have more of, let me see the MRI results, right? Somebody listened to me this whole episode instead of that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really liked having more of her in seasons two and three. Um, she was, she's a great character. Well, and she was written really unfortunately to be, she's supposed to be aloof and above it all. Um, in this, in this weird way that like puts her on a pedestal as, you know, potential love interest or will they, won't they? And it's just such a, a flimsy contrivance for, you know, who this, who this character can be. And, you know, yeah, she is, she is the only one cheerleading will, but you know, that, her role should have agency beyond just like, oh, I care about main male character. Um, and then when she starts to have agency, it goes really off the rails of what what's happening with her. But I, you know, I, yeah, I wish there were more, um, you know, interiority to her that there there was something else beyond that because she's great in so many ways but it is pretty thin and and that's that's just too bad and i mean at the same time i also love her like she's amazing yeah but like it's a badass i don't know character. give her more yeah exactly it's it's badass. the you know and and the other thing i like i i don't know andy that i've and melissa i've ever seen a show where something righteous happens in the first episode and the character questions it for the next 12 episodes. Um, and I thought that was such an interesting, and that's gotta be a Brian Fuller thing, but you know, by episode 10, he's going, should I have done that? Why did I like it? Right. Those kinds of things. And I went that, that part blew my mind. Um, and, and I was surprised that, I mean, I'm, the, the therapy part where it comes up is so interesting because of course Hannibal's like well of course you liked it because that's what I do right um, but anyway I, I, I love a, a show that spins thematic issues like that on its head um, and you know Melissa to your point I think you could have really easily done that in 10 episodes um, rather than all these it's almost like they let's see how we can really kill somebody weirdly um for a couple of these episodes that I wasn't so sure of. Yeah. One one thing I'll I will also bring up um cuz uh shout out to our friend Galen who who couldn't be here who was supposed to be here with us uh, this evening but um unfortunately had a had a late breaking migraine and um but in their notes that they sent me um mentioned that you know one of the one of the things about the character of Alana Bloom is the fact that they were, uh, she was name checked in Manhunter, uh, which I think is something we brought up in one of the previous episodes. I can't remember or not. Um, but you know, Hannibal gets Will's home address by calling up the office of Alana Bloom and, uh, saying like, Oh, I want to, this is Frederick Chilton, Chilton. I want to send one of my books, um, to her and well, and I, I think at that point, Dr. Bloom maybe wasn't even a woman. It might've just been to him. Um, so I, I don't, it was, it was interesting having just watched 
Manhunter when I started watching this. I'm like, oh, I know that name. Uh, that's interesting that they're bringing in this other minor character and they gender flip them. Um, obviously also then gender flipping Freddie Lowndes, um, which is where I wanted to turn to next about how that works. Let's talk about Freddie Lowndes for a moment. Is the, I mean, I love the gender flip. Um, and I think it brings a totally new and interesting context to, um, to this role. Oh yeah. She's, she's so good in the role too. Like you go back and forth from just despising her to, um, rooting for her, right? Like it's, it's such a unique character. Um, and, and honestly, I, I thought she played it extremely well. Um, better than I expected that I mean that role doesn't get a lot of press in some of the other movies and to see it uh -huh. kind of <laughs> sorry yeah it's so front and center in this and I think it really adds to it um so I like I liked it a lot I, I liked it overall too I agree the the actress who played her was really great um I didn't like certain things because I felt like especially with the scenes with Jack where he was very menacing towards her mm -hmm. were kind of gross and then yeah. also in some of those scenes and then her interactions with other law enforcement at times uh, they I feel like those male characters and in their interactions leaned into like the nosy bitch reporter mm. you know what I mean like like Totally. Uh, if she was a man, like originally, yeah, like like she was originally uh, penned in the books and stuff, I think that they would not have been that way towards her. And I don't know if that was done intentionally as kind of like a, you know, look how gross men can be to women, or if it was a misogynistic thing, like, well, this, you know, nosy bitch deserved this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I. Yeah. I one hundred percent. I couldn't get a read on that. What do y'all think? It seems like it rolls from the. I mean, that's kind of the one of the points we made about Silence of the Lambs, too, right? It's like the male gazy um, thing. So it it it's a, it's a good catch in the sense that it it keeps consistent with I think how some of those other things are. I don't know, Andy, what what you thought? I I mean, my default is always to be cynical on this point and right. say yeah. that, you know they're they're being misogynistic because they're not being thoughtful rather than they're being thoughtful to write this yeah. in a in a way that's menacing but right but, but uh, see the, the reason why i wasn't sure is because most of the rest of the show doesn't feel male gazy to me you know um like like one of the male gaziest things about the previous ones including silence of the lambs was that Hannibal was nasty and and sexually exploitative, like in some of the things he said to Clarice. He was really gross with her. Right. And you, this Hannibal is not like that. You know, he does have sexual relationships, but they're consensual. And, you know, it, it comes from more of a human place. Like, like there was actual attraction there, you know, and he's not just like you know, killer cannibal robot or something like right. that. Um, right. So I, 
I, I, I don't know. Um, because you know, it, it doesn't feel as male gazy as the rest of the franchise. And so that's why I think I, I wasn't sure what they were going for, especially with someone like Brian Fuller, who, you know, if you look at his female characters from his past work, you know, he really does champion that, you know, yeah. um, when he created Star Trek discovery, he insisted that not only that the lead be a woman, but a, a woman of color, you know, um, right. which we've never had. And now they're about to enter their fourth season. While I'm gone on vacation, it starts. I'll have something Aww. to come home to. Um, I you know, love Michael the, so much. Right? Michael and she's the and captain Georgia. Yeah. Just, they're the best characters. Right? And, and so he's so good at doing that. So... But so that's why, you know, I'm like Andy, I feel cynical about these things, especially being a woman in this world and having experienced the sexism and misogyny so much. But I think in this case, I, I just wasn't sure what they were going for there. I took the same read on it because it is missing that that 80s, 90s feel of the male gaziness. They did not prevalent through the entire show and it's notable how how much different it is than silence of the lambs for instance um except for with her and so i felt like it was intentional to a point um but maybe we were giving them a bit more credit than they deserved yeah i don't know no there it, there is definitely a she's definitely super multifaceted Freddie Lowndes is so many different things. She's really smart. She's a little bit sleazy, maybe sometimes a lot sleazy. Um, she's pretty exploitative. She's playing an angle just like everybody else. She's a huge fucking liar uh, and is spinning bullshit. Like, like every single time she talks, it's like, I don't think she's playing anything straight here, which is so much fun. She gets to be vulnerable. She gets to be sexy. She gets to be strong. I I just, I think that is a great character. And it's a great way to take this bit part and really elevate it into something else. Uh, I mean, she's, I mean, she's, a, she's an accomplice to um, Eddie Izzard taking out Frederick Chilton's organs. I mean... How crazy oh, is that? I loved Eddie Izzard in this in this show. So go Eddie Izzard. So good. Ah, uh, I love him in general. Well, actually, I think it's her now. Yeah. Right. Okay. I I apologize. I'm still getting used to that. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think I think Eddie has said any pronoun is acceptable because understanding the confusion going back to a large body of work when. Uh, they identified as he, but like she, they is all good now too. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just man, what a performance, and what a weird character too. Mm -hmm. Like I, I have a hard time putting my my beat on that because it's like there's like there's someone who thinks he might be another serial murderer. He's definitely a serial murderer, but he's thinking he's so dissociated. Maybe he thinks he's also another serial murderer. Is that what you took? I, 
I kind of took it as he saw someone superior to him and wanted to claim it out of jealousy. Oh, really? Yeah. That was my headcanon with him. Yeah. yeah like, like, oh, okay. Yeah, that was more my take, too. Well, that makes more sense, then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I was taking the more literal, like, Frederick Chilton, like, filled his mind with nonsense and he started I mean, to that, believe that it. I mean, that could have been it, but uh, honestly, <laughs> for me, and and this is not on on the writers or the actor. I think this is just past experience with the character. Um, I don't think he's smart enough to do that. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he could try to convince somebody that there's, uh, like, a serial killer that they weren't. Uh, but I don't know if he's good, a good enough therapist to be able to do that convincingly, especially to someone who is pretty smart, you know, if his psychopathy didn't get in the way of it. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't think he's he's good enough to be able to do that. But, but it, it, it might have helped, though, steer him in that direction. But my read was like... He, he he wanted to be far more grandiose than he really was and and he maybe wasn't capable of that and so he took credit for shit he didn't do so that he could be more famous yeah. you know yeah yeah no that's that's probably the more correct take on it so makes a lot of sense i love um the chilton character in this by the way i absolutely love how he how he did it so much better uh, than in other ones i just i love how greasy and like they're all these characters in this show are just so unlikable and you go i really just want to focus on hannibal and will because i don't want to see chilton on screen he's gross right mm -hmm. he's just bleh. and then well, eddie Izzard was pretty great but yeah it's just so funny how everything just leads us back to i really want to talk about will and hannibal instead <laughs> of all these other weirdos yeah, I didn't mind Chilton here though because they they at least fleshed him out a bit because I feel like like say in Silence of the Lambs, he was so simple and evil that he he was practically twirling his mustache, yeah, right? Totally. And that didn't happen here, I don't feel. No, he was great. It was just so much more nuanced. Like the narcissism, right? Kind of like the Jack Crawford Hannibal thing, right, Andy? Just that same level of hubris and i'm better and um it's really interesting how a lot of the characters share that same perspective sorry was that question for me no i was just saying <laughs> it was kind of like how you mentioned the I jack was, i was waiting for everyone else to jb killed the podcast no 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 i was waiting for other folks to I, hit, I hit you with a subtle question like Okay, I'll, I'll ask you the real question. Is is Chilton the same as Crawford and Hannibal? And if so, why? He's worse. Ooh! Bring him the thunder. All right, go for yeah. it. Because he, he's, he's not only, like, narcissistic, but he's not doing it really for any greater good. This is his own little fiefdom, and this is what you see every time small men who get placed in petty authority on a power trip. That's 100% what he is. And, uh, and, and then it becomes a morality tale of like, you know, exactly what befalls him. And I kind of love that character arc because I love to see 
petty authority get punished for being misused. And so. I also think just like the, uh, Eddie Azard's character, he he also wanted to be more than he was. Right. 100%. You know, um, it, you know, so maybe he did rub off on, on Gideon. Who knows? But um, it, it's funny because when you think of it like that, and especially Hannibal and his hubris, which I want to get back to in just a second, but when you look at those three characters and and how they played out throughout the season, I sort of felt like it was a little bit of a meditation on, on the male condition and how... Uh, not just hubris, but also just ego and and this this pressure almost society puts on men to have like a legacy and how it makes them do things that are terrible sometimes you know what i mean um and and so i don't know if that was brian fuller and the writer's intention but that's sort of what i gleaned from it anyway because that's the theme of almost every single murder except for the Molly Shannon ones. Like, all of the serial killers uh, essentially are, you know, I'm going to make some sort of a monument to myself. And we see some of well, that. Well, and in that sense, even with, two and three. even with Molly Shannon, she's kind of doing the same thing only through family as a mother. Like, that is the legacy that she is creating. It's just more subtle. Yeah. That's a it is a it's a great take yeah i didn't even think of that yeah at least chilton didn't eat anybody i don't know that he's worse than hannibal well uh, he's worse than jack crawford i don't know that he's worse than hannibal yeah because he didn't he didn't murder anybody but he was still extracting things from people uh i mean he's a vampire yeah, he's he, mentally mentally worse and emotionally worse than hannibal for sure like he offers nothing in return Whereas Hannibal still seemed like a good therapist. Not as good of a therapist, I might add, as my favorite side character in this, Jillian Anderson. God, she is everything. Oh, she was so good. Oh, she's amazing. I really think that, like, before I have to jump off here in, like, 30 seconds, I'm just going to say she's my biggest takeaway from this show and that she will always be one of my top three girl crushes of all oh, time and no matter what she's doing she's fucking brilliant oh well she's well amazing. said yeah she eats up she and hannibal on the screen those are probably oh, my favorite non hannibal will parts they just they're so good in that room together it's incredible yeah 100 yeah. percent. okay guys bye brooke you need to go okay yep. we're gonna stop i gotta jump okay bye. bye okay bye yeah Jillian Anderson's amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I what, love that character. So yeah, much. Melissa, I was going to ask you what what did that add for you? Because again, I think it came in at the part where I was kind of, all right, this show's going to be procedural, Andy, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, this Jillian Anderson's character shows up. I'm like, I am watching every single part of these episodes just so when she shows up. I, I don't know. Did it did it help out for that, Melissa, when you were watching it? It, it did a couple of things for me, the introduction of her character. Um, first is someone who knows what Hannibal is, finally, right? Because up to that point, nobody really knew who or what he was. There were suspicions maybe on Will's pa- uh, part, but nobody else, right? And, and that's actually one of the things that could have easily derailed this whole season. Um, and it nearly did for me at one point because... 
it's no fun when your villain is 20 steps ahead of everyone else and everybody just looks so incompetent that there's no way they'll ever catch up. That's no fun because then, you know, what do you do? What do you do with that? There has to be some kind of conflict and there's no conflict if, you know, he's so far ahead of everybody else. Um, so introducing her, someone who knows what he is, it, it sort of gave you hope that, okay, maybe there's some chinks in, in the Hannibal armor here because, yeah. you know, you've got to have that or else, or else it just gets boring, you know? Um, it, it sort of becomes like Sherlock Holmes where you know he's always the smartest person in the room and he's always way ahead of everyone else and he's always going to solve it. He's always going to get the guy, you know, the, the murderer or whatever. And after a while, you're just like, oh, okay, well, we know how this is going to happen. You know, he's going to explain everything and blah, blah, you know, it, it, it can get old after a while. Um, you need some kind of conflict, some something else. And and up and for a long time throughout this season, he was just way ahead. Like he he called the Minnesota Shrike, remember, and told him they know, you know, like he he yeah. way ahead just of everyone. Um But but also uh just the performance itself, it, it was so different from what everybody else was doing, because her character is so different, and you didn't really know exactly where they were going with it um and and i am especially excited to talk about like you know season three and what happens with her character there oh, yeah. Hannibal. Oh, yeah. um but you know sticking with season one it was just it was good that there seemed to be that that chink in the armor like okay somebody who knows who he is who could possibly derail him um but also you going just expanding on that just a little um, when he saw that Gideon took credit for his murders, and then I think it was the end of episode like seven or eight or something around there, where he looks up and you could see that look. He looks up from the newspaper he was reading Freddie Lounge's story about it, and then he looks up and you could tell he was very angry that Gideon was taking credit for his kills. And that was the only other time up to that point where I felt like okay, maybe he, he could unravel a little bit because if he doesn't start unraveling or someone does some, you know, starts pulling some of those strings to unravel for him, then it's just going to be boring because he's just going to always win and you can't have that. So for me, her being there meant that there was finally a new conflict for Hannibal. Um, and maybe he's not as ahead as he thinks he is. And that exciting yeah yeah oh such a great character and that's a I great agree. take melissa i love that take yeah absolutely and and that that was kind of part of the problem with with this it's like it felt like in season one will was like so close or excuse me episode one he was so close to it and then it like slipped away from him and that's why like every time he starts hallucinating about the stag it's like the splinter in his mind's eye that he knows is like out there and um and he's so close to it but he's so far away and it's like will come on just peek around the corner he's right upstairs um but yeah adding 
adding Jillian Anderson is just like the the best. Uh, you know the way the way to give an entirely other dimension to Hannibal because really, 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 why the hell is Hannibal Lecter going to therapy? <laughs> He is going there because he enjoys messing with this woman. Right. That's a mind game in and of itself. And it's like, oh, jeez, what the? But yeah, she knows. She's so and, smart. Well, it, it, he yeah. needs to mess with somebody who's really smart. He can't waste yeah. his time with dumb people. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Well, I think it's a smokescreen too, right? He has a facade. Like, oh, see, I'm okay. Right? I also go to a therapist. Um, so it gives them the chance to mess with someone and cause they all, they usually recommend that therapists also go to therapy. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's also crossing the T's to, to, to have a sense of normalcy societally. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, but he also gets to mess with someone at the same time. And I cannot wait to talk about the stag imagery in seasons two and season three. Cause I love oh, what they well, do with it. Love it. As it, as it, uh, yeah starts to evolve yeah as it becomes gets... such a great tie-in uh, yeah. to his growth as well i, I, yeah. I love it because you don't know you see it in season one and like you said andy you're going he's right there that's what the dream is telling you and then um where it's where it goes from there is is really fantastic yeah man what a fantastically layered uh season of television yeah let's talk about the because again to Melissa's point I think one of the best parts of this is the hero has the antithesis right and it's a very fine line between um, you know is is he inherently good or is he evil playing a good role right and I love you know Melissa talking about the, the hubris thing which, which I, I want to get your take on Hannibal is it's like a research study, right? Season one is Hannibal testing all of these ropes and, and areas to see what the answer is. But, but Melissa, I'm interested in your hubris take and what you thought about um, that Hannibal piece as well. My hubris take uh, concerning Hannibal specifically? Yeah, I think or... you had mentioned it earlier. Like, yeah. we get into the Hannibal character, and I'd love to hear what you think. Well, the reason that I think Cubis is why he goes to therapy, first of all, um, you know, because, yeah, it does, it seems crazy that he would do that. Right. right. Um, the, but going back to what I said earlier, how he's trying to get caught, I think without even realizing it, a lot of serial killers and criminals, you know, why else would they take like trophies? Right. Um, like if you ever watch Dexter. Uh, he took a drop of blood on a glass slide from every single one of his kills and kept them in his apartment and didn't really hide them all that well, you know? Right. Um, and and so if he's ever found out for even one of those murders, he'll get found out for all of them because of that, you know, hubris. Um, and, and so I just, you know, some people, they take trophies. Some people leave things behind, you know, like clues or whatever, right. like, daring you and Hannibal thinks he's so much smarter than everybody else because of his hubris and he is very very smart I mean let's not pretend he's not an idiot uh, by any stretch but he thinks he's always the smartest person in the room so much so that he can go to therapy 
and knowing how smart his therapist is and that that she knows what he is and who he is uh but also knowing that he scares her so she will remain silent about it you know and that's hubris that's all just massive ego hubris and um he he can fuck with will the way he does and keep the encephalitis from him you know the diagnosis because um he he thinks he knows how to do this and that it'll it'll reward him in the end but like but there's things that could get him caught like like when he asks will to do the clock and and when it's all on one side that means something's wrong you know and and that's evidence you know what I'm saying? That he knew the whole time and said nothing. Um, but he doesn't think he'll get caught. You know, and so when he sees Gideon taking credit for his kills, he doesn't think he's going to get caught. You know, um, because he it, it's it's his intelligence that's going to be his downfall. Because the, the intelligence is where all that ego and hubris comes from. Um, but I, I think also... it. You know, going back to what I said earlier about how I felt like the the main characters, it, it was almost like the, the writers were telling us about the male condition in our society and how toxic it is. I feel like Hannibal encapsulates that a lot. You know, um, men 100%. in general, and I'm not talking obviously about you two gentlemen here, but, you know, in, in, when I say men, I mean in general, okay? Um, they they're so used to getting their way that they don't even realize that when they throw a hissy fit because they they're told no how stupid and childish they look because they're just so used to it it's their condition it's what they're used to and he is so used to being so far ahead of everybody else that he instead of throwing a hissy fit he can take risks in this nice and he he takes huge risks and and I, I mentioned earlier how that could get boring after a while because he kept getting away with it, you know. So we needed some kind of conflict, and and you know that's what we got. But it took a while, and so but for a long time he just kept getting his way because he was so far ahead of everybody else. And I think that reflects how men are in our society. They're so used to getting their way that it, it's like a train and it's hard to stop that train with all that momentum, you know? Yeah. So there's a parallels there, at least in my mind, but I could be reading too much into it. Cause God knows I do that all the time. You know, I read no, too much into stuff, right. but that's kind of how I saw it. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And I mean, talking about like taking trophies, I mean, it's so funny because Hannibal was taking trophies, but then he was turning around and using them to frame Will. Mm-hmm. Because it's like the the second part of the game is like, yes, I want to get caught. Yes, I know there's danger in this. There's even more danger if what I do is go out and try to frame this other person who I have deemed my equal. Right. And I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with him. And it it's just I, it, he, but Hannibal Lecter is also like the master of the long, long, long game. Oh, for I mean, sure. E- even in Silence of the Lambs, he's telling Clarice Starling like, "Oh, I have a, I have an old, um, 
storage unit, yeah, you know, a, off of Route 95. Go yeah. check it out. There's like a head <laughs> in a jar and like all these notes about, you know, a previous patient or whatever. And it's like, man, what? Hannibal was like really, really thinking this stuff out like years and years and years before he got caught. Um, because, yeah, it is it is hubris. And um, but Melissa, you know, to your your basic point about this very much being a commentary on the male condition, I I mean, I just I can't think of a better way to really encapsulate what I think, especially this season is about. Yeah, yep. I think. And, and, and it's and it, it. I think it's kind of fitting that the women, you know, later on start to become more stronger or more stronger, stronger and, and uh, get a little more agency. Not all of them, but, you know, eventually all of them sort of take control. And and hopefully that's, you know, it would be nice if our world would eventually reflect that as well instead of just the toxic shit. Um, but but yeah, that's that's sort of how I saw it. And it it's funny because I haven't watched this show in a long time because um, it's not the type of show you watch on repeat. You know, like I've probably seen every episode of Shit's Creek like twenty times by now. <laughs> but that's because it's a fluffy, fun show. It has a lot of depth, but it doesn't make you feel bad or dread about the world. You know what I mean? Right. Um, this is not that show. You can't watch this over and over you know this was not on my unless you know, you're galen apparently well yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you know this was not a part of my pandemic lockdown queue you know what i mean Me um neither. <laughs> uh yeah. because it's heavy it's it's very heavy you know um but yeah i that when i was re-watching it for the first time I think maybe since it aired, like when I was watching it every week um, as it aired, uh, I I gotta say uh, I I sort of solidified my my view about this season because it it seemed to make even more sense somehow. What what is it like seven eight years since this aired this season? Uh, what was it 2013, 2014, somewhere yeah, around like, there? Yeah, here let me look yeah. what the original uh, air date was. So yeah, twenty thirteen. Yeah. So now, you know, nearly a decade later, it seems to make even more sense somehow that that this is almost like a parable for our world or something. It, it's sad, but but, you know, what are you going to do? Especially as we regress, I feel like with women's rights, it just feels even more uh, something. I don't even know it, 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 that that's actually more depressing to me than the murderers that are portrayed it's <laughs> true here yeah yeah no i i definitely feel that and it does feel like this is a a special thing it feels like this was lightning in a bottle we were super lucky that it came along that uh, all the time that there's talk about bringing it back for a potential season four I mean, I'm I'm into it. I'd be interested in that, but it also feels very hard to do this same show right now, where it's like we're living through a a very different time. 
Yeah, the world has so. changed so much. Um, and even without the pandemic, the world has changed, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. even before this, but but now even more so. Um, and, and I go back and forth because the way the third season ends is kind of perfect as a series finale if you want that ambiguity, you know? Yeah. Um, because it, that whole scene, that whole final scene was really just artfully done and just kind of crazy beautiful in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, not to get too much into it because we'll discuss that season soon, but yeah. But then there's a part of me that's like, well, I, I kind of, I mean, if, the, if, if you have a fourth season, then obviously the, the cliffhanger means people survived and i want to know how you know what i mean like i want to know what what happened here um so and, and what do they do I, and what choices do they make like what yeah you know leaving it out there so you just you can go write whatever fan fiction you want might be the best way to to leave that be and there is a lot of fan fiction oh, out there with those two holy fuck yeah, a lot of fan fiction. I I feel like this show was one of the first shows that really caught the trend of both. I, I think there were two things that caught on: one, internet shipping culture, and and the convergence of like Tumblr and fan fiction and slash fiction really kind of coming into. Not the mainstream because it's not mainstream, but more mainstream, right? Um, and and more known among like niche people. And I feel like this might have been the first sort of um, a prestige streaming show, even oh. though it wasn't a streaming show, right? <laughs> and and here's my my case for that: this show's ratings were never that great. Yeah, it did not deserve a first or a, a renewal for a second season or a third season, but it got it back because its DVR numbers were so good, and because its streaming numbers were so good. Yeah, and they started to figure out, oh wow, like people actually like maybe don't show up for appointment television, especially when you bury a show at yeah, right. ten o'clock on a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, then, but people will watch it on their DVR and people will uh, turn it on and watch it on streaming. And it, it's, it really sort of set a mold that, uh, I think worked for a lot of other shows. And I think that's the other thing. The people I know who watched it, you had to get the kids out of the house. Like <laughs> you can't, yeah. you can't or you just can't don't have it. any in the first place. Well, like there is that. But I mean, you, you, you have to stream it because you cannot risk a child yeah. walking in when this oh, show is on. Oh, hell no! Can, can you imagine? Oh, it's it's not like Blade where the kids would walk in and they'd go, "This movie looks stupid," and they would just leave. Right? This is way <laughs> more tormenting than that. So yeah, I mean, right? I, they'd I have nightmares. Until you said it, Andy, but that is, I definitely remember that was how people were watching it. It was like shh. Right, the kids are gone, or something. Let's now we can watch our Hannibal episode. So that's a yeah. really interesting take. Yeah, but I also think some of it too, being the t the era that it started in, was really like kind of peak rise of the antihero in, mm, in nice. Also true, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, Hannibal's not an antihero; he's just a villain. But 
because of the hero worship that I've mentioned many right. times as we talk about this, I think that's how he was seen by a lot of people as like an anti-hero rather than a villain in a lot of ways because you know well, he only eats the root or you know this, you know what I mean like <laughs> you could hear the excuses right um so i i really think that 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 had something to do with it as well because i think people's tolerance for people who were bad kind of rose like you know it because villains stopped being black and white during this kind of peak era of like you know the second golden age of television and stuff which i think hannibal was very much a part of yeah and so the tolerance for evil and the desire to see a character we already knew fleshed out no pun intended um in a way that that anthony hopkins could only wish he could do um, and in a way that that the Hannibal version in Manhunter never got the chance to do, uh, I think that all it was. You're right. It's lightning in a bottle, and that was all a part of it. There were so many things that sort of had to, so many stars. I think that had to align because when you think about it too, like I mentioned, how this did not seem like an NBC show. Uh, yeah. NBC was in the ratings cellar. I mean, even the CW was beating them sometimes. And if the CW beats you at anything, you're in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, they And they were willing, as a result of that, to take risks. I mean, it was sort of like they were just throwing shit at the wall to see what would stick because the only thing they had was the office. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that was yep. just about the only big thing they had. Um even Parks and Recreation, a show that I love that was on my pandemic rewatch list, um, was still only kind of like a minor hit and only because it was paired with The Office, right? Right. Um, so I think they were more willing to take risks and to let them get away with more, which is why we ended up with the show we did. Because yeah. if they were like CBS, which was number one at the time, they don't make this show. Probably, or at least not as gory and grisly as it was. They would have probably put a lot more restrictions. But I think they were willing to take any audience, and a certain audience did show up, just, you know, maybe not as much as they had hoped, but, you know, they showed up. I mean, I sure as hell did every week. They also had a really, really lucrative overseas distribution deal where essentially no matter like if zero people showed up and watched it on nbc they would still break even no matter what because of all of the the deals they had with sky tv or you know uh whomever to 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 put this out in uh europe asia and in australia and so on so like it, it was a guaranteed thing that they could just be like well yeah, we can be experimental and throw shit at the wall. And, um, which is crazy. Like, how in the world did that happen? Yeah. But, you know, that's that's how they were able to do it. And then, even though they weren't getting ratings, they were getting, you know, the, the, plus, uh, the plus two in the DVR. And so advertisers were like, well, okay, I guess. You know, so was it a hit overseas? Like, did it get the enough? Rating? I mean, it wasn't a hit, a hit, uh -huh. but like the it was they had um, 
they have these weird just like uh distribution contracts or whatever like sky tv put in a bunch of money into this show into this show so um like just to have it as content and so it i don't know what the ratings were overseas but like they were they were basically fine with yeah. this getting like almost no viewers huh. which it kind of was getting live i have a friend in england who who watched it and he's like i can't believe the americans made this well done you know because he said it's it felt more like a oh like a scandinavian type of yeah. because it was dark and ponderous and 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 it had mads mickelson in it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that too yes um and, and I, I, I see his point, you know, I, uh, yeah, this just did not feel like your average network television show. And there's been nothing, there was nothing quite like it before on network television. And there really hasn't been anything since, not to that level. No. It's, yeah. Lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. The weirdest thing. So I can't believe we've gone this entire time and haven't fawned over Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, I mean, yeah. we really do need to wait for for Galen to be well, yeah. here to really, really get we into it. Almost can't ship him until season two, right? Because season two is when we really yeah, get sexy season, Hannibal. Season one yeah. is sort of just the the health mess, right? Like, let's see who this person's really made out of. Season two, it's like, wow, let's just shower together and get this going. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. do this. Man, when we get to that sex scene, wow, that is a, that is a thing. Spoiler alert: Watch season two, I guess. Is what we but but no, I think that's that's kind of why we probably haven't talked a lot about it because I think season two is where the big relationship, like these these character melds, really happen, right? Um, yeah, and and that's where I think season two, I. I like season one a lot, but I really like what they did in season two. Um, I don't think it's as strong as a season, but I really like what they did um, with these two characters. Because, yeah, Mads takes on a whole new level of awesome in season two. Yeah. I think it's an overall weaker season. Um, there, There's definitely stuff in season two that I'm just like, why are we doing this? <laughs> there is that, yep. But, but it... I don't know the the overall arc i i think i like better it, we'll get to it in season two there's there's things i like there's things i don't like um yeah this one though i mean it seemed like melissa you mentioned this earlier being able to watch it in retrospect and knowing where it was going was helpful watching it again from the beginning and knowing that the final moment was going to be Will Graham in the mental institution saying hello Dr. Lecter and it's that like it's like oh duh okay you know talking about like things paying out like a slot machine <laughs> and saying that a lot the last few episodes but like that was like oh okay that's where they were going this whole time it sort of felt to me when I saw that scene, like I should have known where it was going the whole time, but that it also felt like maybe the writers knew that's, that that was the last scene and then wrote everything else to meet it. 
exactly you know what i mean and maybe that's why there were some episodes that felt like filler because when you have a 13 episode order and you got to fill those all 13 hours maybe you got to put a little filler in there to get to where you know you're gonna go already you know instead of letting the story unfold organically they already knew their end point for the season so again the solid argument for why this could have been a nine or ten episode season yeah yeah agree i agree i would love to see seasons one and two as a 10 episode season three could have been like six (laughs) i don't know well and if they were to make this show today, if this were on HBO Max or Netflix, that's that's probably what it would be. They'd probably do ten episodes, yeah. and oh, but they'd be they'd be hour episodes though too. So probably still the same amount of content, but um, but still, um, cool. Any any other things we definitely have to talk about? Or like we can try and go into our final stuff. I, yeah, I think we ought to leave it. I, I really, I really want to talk more about the psyche because, like, Will's psyche in season one is so, it's, it's really kind of frail, right? And then I love the change in season two, um, but I, season two might be a better place to talk about it because you can juxtapose it, right? And talk mm. about almost like a before and after. Um, so I, I'm, I would, I'm fine leaving that. Um, till till next time. Yeah, there's his his psyche definitely goes. Well, I mean, and then and then you, there's definitely a lot of changes in season three too. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, having not having encephalitis from you know raw liver probably helps a lot for your your brain. So probably <laughs> I would think so. Probably does. I I actually want to talk about the lab staff. The, Ooh, the, nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beverly Katz, I love you. Yes. I mm-hmm. I really love you. Um, She is easily the nicest person on the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, She's helpful. Like, she, she, she really wants... You, you could tell she loves her work. She really wants to catch each of these people. Um, she even helps Will, like, with his stance when he was not shooting well in the shooting yeah. scenes, you know? Just all these little things, which makes, you know, season two harder to take in some yeah. ways because we all know what happens. But yeah. um, I I love her. And, and she's my favorite side character. I'm just going to say it already. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll to that part. Um, but Scott Thompson. Okay. I am a huge, huge fan of Kids in the Hall. I think I may have mentioned that before on some episode of the podcast or another, or maybe it was before or after when we don't record. No, you mentioned it, and then you're like, oh, he's in Hannibal. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'd forgotten that. Yep. I I, got to say, the first few episodes, I kept expecting him to to start talking with a lisp with the martini in his hands, you know? And y'all know what I'm talking about if you've ever seen the Kids in the Hall. If you haven't yep. seen the kids in the hall, go watch it. I mean, what the hell are you waiting for? Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, like, I, I'm such a fan that, like, like, um, I went, uh, oh, what's the name of that? You know, when you're on a boat and, and you take a parachute up and parasailing. Okay. Parasailing, yeah. yeah. I went parasailing. And when you're that high up, everything looks tiny, like ants. 
And so I was like, I'm crushing your building. I'm crushing your building. That's how much of a Kids in the Hall fan I am. So seeing Scott Thompson do drama, it, it, it was so weird. But I still loved it. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it, but it was a little weird for me. Um, and then seeing him interact with everybody else and it just, he was a little bit of comic relief, like slightly, um, as little levity as they allow in this show, which isn't, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Scott Thompson, I love you. Yeah. Um, Hetian Park as Beverly Katz, I love you. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember the other guy, but. Um, well, the, yeah, the two of them bickering sorry. were kind of like the comic relief, weren't they? Like, yeah. Like, one of them figure yeah. things out faster or all that kind of stuff. Those, mm-hmm. they were pretty funny. Truth, yeah. he kind of bugged me though. I'm just like, oh, this guy again, why are you being mean to Will? Like, I don't know. I, I I was down for Scott Thompson. Other guy, it was just like, oh. I'm okay, so it's, uh, his name is Brian Zell, the character. I had yes. to look it up. Aaron Abrams. Aaron Abrams. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, I couldn't remember. I'm bad with names, but I remember, I always remember Scott Thompson. <laughs> um, well, he's, I don't know. Is he, is he your favorite kid in the hall? Uh, hard, hard for me between him and Dave Foley. Those yeah, are yeah, um, yeah. I don't. But they're know. all great. It's really <laughs> hard to rank them. Yeah, you know, it it really is. Um, and and like um, that show Superstore had uh, Mc, uh, what's his name? What? McCulloch, Bruce yeah. McCulloch. Yeah. Uh, so so um. Yeah, I'll watch anything with one of them in it. Just yeah, I actually didn't know he was in this. <laughs> like I was watching it because of Brian Fuller, like I said earlier, right. and then I saw him. I was like, <gasps> you know. Um, but I'll watch anything one of the kids in the hall are in. But he, he might be. I mean, you know, I, I yeah. You're, it's like asking me to pick my favorite star in the sky. How the hell would I? Know? <laughs> <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> that that is that is true. Very, very true. All of the kids in the hall are wonderful. I I love that show. And yeah. They're amazing. But th- this show just generally, what an amazing, like, stacked supporting cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone. I mean, I mentioned already, they, like, brought in Lance Henriksen for one scene to sit in a chair and confess to some murders. I'm like, that could have been anybody. And you're just like, Oh, because we bring in RoboCop for one scene? Sure. So weird. I just... I, this this show, I don't... I mean, they're really, really... Uh, they're really great at, at filling out their, their supporting cast. And Rich, and, like Richard Armitage. Oh my gosh. Coming up. Oh, oh my gosh. Richard God. Armitage. Oh my yeah. gosh. I cannot wait to talk about season three to talk oh, about yeah. Richard Armitage amazing everyone in this show so good um really by the way stinker by the way dave foley is my favorite kid in the hall dave foley's your favorite kid in the hall although i really like um kevin mcdonald but i might go with dave mcdonald too just by by a smidge dave foley by a tiny tiny bit uh news radio forever (laughs) <laughs> oh, I love that show That's so much. Show. Except for Joe Rogan. Oh well, yeah. Well, you know. 
that's I, I I like to say that I'm like I really don't care what the fifth male lead on news radio said about fill in the blank because it's true if you think about yeah. it like yeah that show had like 12 amazing people on it and he was the very last one it's like when you are below Andy Dick that is like, <laughs> you're not you're not doing too great there buddy that's uh, bad that's funny the, the sad thing was he was great on the show I yeah. wish we could have just remembered him for, for that no, I remember him for Fear Factor over his podcast now. I'm serious. Because yeah. yeah. that show was stupid, but at least he wasn't telling people to take horse pills instead of a yeah. scene. You know what I mean? So, 100%. Yeah. 100%. But let's stop talking about him. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's, okay. Let's talk about grizzly murders instead. Yeah. 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 You're better than Joe Rogan, Grizzly Murders. Okay, so there was no box office, but this did have uh, U.S. viewership totals. I am looking on Wikipedia on on its season one uh, viewership totals. Who wants to take a guess at... Uh, I, I will just say this right out. The um, the premiere had a decent number, and it never got more than that. I would guess 2.6, 2.4 range for season one, probably 2.1, 1.9 to 2.1 for season two, and then like one and a half for season three. That's usually how it staggers. Yeah, I'll, I'll only do season one right now. Um, 2.6 for most of the season is anywhere between 2.4 and 2.6 for most of it. Uh, yeah, and then but the um, the opener got 4.3. Wow. And uh, the second episode also got 4.3. So, so to your point, and we talked about this in the very beginning. Do you think people came to this going, I love those movies. I cannot wait to watch this. And they watched it and they went, this is nothing like the movies. This is actually good. Right? Like, what do you think they said? Because I, I can't figure out how you would come to this from watching the movies and not go, this is more than I could have expected. Right? Or was it just too off-putting? See, I that's how I saw it, is that people saw like Silence of the Lambs and I'll watch this but this is far more bloody and and detailed and you know um humane yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean characters in this that helps it's I mean that's the opening scene is Will has to reconstruct this grisly home invasion murder and you see it through his eyes and it's like if you can make it through the first 10 minutes it's like okay then this show's for you but there's a lot of people who can't make it through that yeah it's it's just a lot it is so and they're probably where's Clarice I don't know yeah that's probably, that. I think that's part of it too yeah and I, I really do think that that's like I mean without without Jodie Foster and Clarice Starling I don't know that um silence of the lambs is as beloved as it is today mm. Mm. so probably mm. true 
It's just that weird alchemy. Talk about lightning in a bottle again. Okay. okay. So, um, do we have any studio notes? I think we've we've cut around some of them. Yeah, cut those like, two episodes, I think. Kind of cut talked about. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I love the use of lighting in the film. Mm -hmm. Like Hannibal's office is always lit so well. Um, and his tailor, his fashion is on point, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's really cool how they use all of the factors to juxtapose him and will, right? Like the very well put together, well lit bad guy versus the, right? The dis disheveled, unkempt, good soul. Um, and I, I guess one of my studio notes is I, you, you know, you can't telegraph that to an audience, but I would have liked the, them to give themselves more credit for doing such a good job at that. And then probably a bigger role for Alana Bloom would have been my other one. Yeah. I always hate when people do amazing things with cinematography and lighting and don't give themselves credit for it. Right. Like, but you have to hit American audiences over the head with that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, maybe if uh, one of the scenes had just been in blue, <laughs> <laughs> Fil filmed from the outside door or whatever that was. <laughs> it's it's filmed from the point of view of the gun. So, you know, shout out to the dogs. I love the dogs. Oh, the dogs. The, the dogs, dogs are, are my wonderful. favorite. I'm I'm glad none of them get hurt in the show because that's my that was my number one thing i'm like during season two i'm like who is taking care of will's dogs where are they uh, or that, that one part in season two where the uh the, the one guy tries to hurt the dog i'm like mm, that's this is this guy better go because that's it um yeah. but no i i there's not a lot i think melissa your points are right on there's there's an arc or two and some some episodes if you cut this down to 10 this is about the crispest 10 episodes you could have mm -hmm. yeah my studio notes are basically um more people of color i know there's a few you got mm -hmm. Lawrence fishburne you got hetian park but you know it's not enough it, it there's yeah. you know i think there was a color problem here um but uh there's no also, latinos there's other diversity but no latinos well, isn't gina torres yeah, she's she's, she's, oh, okay. she's an Afro Latina, but she yeah. also dies, and she's only in a couple of yeah. episodes, so you know. And they were married uh, in real life during this, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but also, you know, a, a bigger, better role for Alana. Although I don't know, you know, like I feel like this is sort of like bitching about something, but having absolutely no idea how to solve what you're bitching about. You know what I mean? Like, because I I'm not sure where she would fit in, especially if you cut out some episodes to make it a, a taut season i i'm not sure where you know they would expound on that but i i do trust because he is good at writing women usually that brian fuller could have figured that out um because she did seem a little like extraneous at times um and you know like they were fighting for a way to put her in there but she does have a much bigger role to play in the next two seasons so that's yeah, true you know that at least that's good maybe I, I feel i don't know if that was always the intention or if they just realized what they did and kind of course corrected but either way um 
you know, that's good. So, so in a way they sort of already answered my studio notes here <laughs> in the, in future seasons. Um, also, I would have dropped the Miriam Lass arc completely yes. because I just don't think it really had any real bearing on the story. And, and it, you could have cut it out and it, it just wouldn't have mattered. And also, you know, it's funny when I was rewatching it, I was like, did we ever figure out what happened to her when I first watched this? And then we watching, I was like, I still don't know what happened to her. You know what I mean? Like, do I care? No, but it's weird that they just left it like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. We uh, don't it, get it. Do, does it come back in season three or late season two? It's like, it takes it a while before they finally get to it. Yeah, but it's just weird to leave it like yeah, that. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, like, why'd they drop that? That's weird. Yeah, it, but it, but it, they could have cut that whole part out, and it would have it would have been better. Um, totally. Uh, so yeah, that I mean, those are like the main complaints here. Um, I do have to say that there were a few times where I I felt like I needed to put the subtitles on because Mads mm -hmm. sometimes his English was hard to understand. You know, Hannibal, this character has a very deliberate way of speaking that sometimes, you know, and then I read later that, that he had an English coach on because he, he clearly knew English before this, right? But not enough to, I mean, he was still mostly acting his native language up to this point. So he mm -hmm. had a coach to help him. Um, and it did get better as the seasons wore on. You could tell, like, he was getting more comfortable with the English language. But there were times when I was like, okay, it's subtitle time. Because, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know what he's saying. Um, and that's distracting when something like that takes you out of it. You know what I mean? Like, like this is very much a show that you need to really concentrate and be present you know you can't this isn't the type of show where you're like oh let me see what's on twitter or something while i watch this you know what i mean um yeah you can only tweet about it or something during commercials because you have to pay attention and so when something takes you out of it that's bad you know it messes yeah. with your whole flow as you're watching it so maybe i mean i i don't know something like like make him do a, another take or something i don't know there there had to have been a way to make it to where that didn't happen did, did that happen to you guys at all not as much because i always have my subtitles on oh but like so but we need to have galen tell us the story because apparently there's a story when mads was uh auditioning that he promised them that he knew every single word in the english language and was what like, very clearly lying through his teeth. <laughs> so uh, I, I want to really hear that story. This part. <laughs> yeah, well, of course he wanted this part. He's so great in it. Yeah. I mean, this. I mean, this is probably his best role. I mean, is hard to say, but he is because he's so good. But yeah, and we got to see so much of it too. Yeah, you know, compared to like you know a 90 minute or two hour movie or something yeah and and sadly his like biggest uh his his biggest american film roles that he's been he was le chief in casino royale 
doesn't show up until two hours into the movie and then is only and is the villain and the bad stuff uh, and the bad guy at the end um and then dr strange dr strange he's the bad he's probably one of the weakest mcu villains ever not mads's fault that's just kaecilius is a weak villain uh and um and then galen urso in the one of the best star wars movies but again he's killed like 30 minutes into the yeah movie. it's a very small part it's pivotal he's, but it's small he's great but yeah but yeah so it's like you know we need we need more mads I mean, he is, the, he is the accountant in Bitch Better Have My Money, so <laughs> Rihanna. Lest we forget that yeah, that's his forget. best role. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, my, my only studio note is I would move something from season two to season one, and um, that is there is a montage in season two where he is preparing food for everyone and he is pulling recipes out of his box and matching it to people he has murdered. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that bit of character business needed to be in season one. That's hilarious. Like, I really, really liked that. Um, because I, it's like season one, it's like, okay, is he eating people? We don't know if he's eating people. We assume he's eating people, but like, there's nothing like really that that sort of says it, other than you know one of the lines, which we'll get to when we do favorite lines about like, I promise nothing is vegetarian. So. Oh, I that, have that, that was one, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> nothing you on know. the menu is vegetarian. But it's like, is is he eating people? We don't know, and I maybe they were just being coy, but like. Again, maybe this is like the subtlety of American audiences needed, you know, the blue filter on. But I'm just like, Let, let's have that. That's a fun piece of thing, a fun piece of business, and we could uh, we could have that more up front. So that's really my my only. Although I agree, the like let's let's get rid of the Miriam last stuff and yeah. slim this down to a tight 10, 11 episodes. Okay. Speaking of best one-liners in quotes. Well, I already said, you know, I don't find you that interesting. <laughs> Hannibal says you will. It's yeah. so ominous. And yeah. and he says it so nonchalantly. Like, it's not... He doesn't, like, overly emphasize it or anything, you know? And Will doesn't even pick up on it. You know, he doesn't... It doesn't seem to phase him. Probably because he's too busy eating whatever kind of sausage that is that people made for him so um yeah that i i just kind of love that because it's right there in the pilot and i feel like that one line it just sort of sets the tone for what's to come like it's 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 like a you know a bit of a harbinger or something it it, it, i just loved it that's a great line um yeah so the the line just going back profession psychopaths gravitate to CEOs, lawyers, the clergy number five on the list is surgeons Freddie says I know the list Will says well then you know what number six is journalists you know what number seven is Mr. Graham law enforcement and that's when she says here we are a bunch of psychopaths helping each other out <laughs> it's yep. great. Um, I, I like all of the lines 
uh, that kind of build the relationship, right? Like what reason would I have? You have no traceable motive, right? That whole someone who thinks how I think, wind them up and watch them go. Well, apparently Dr. Lecter, this is how I go, right? Like all of those lines. My favorite one is still though, killing must feel good to God. He does it all the time. God's terrific. He dropped a church roof on 34 as worshipers last Wednesday in Texas while they sang a hymn. And Will says, does God feel good about that? And Hannibal says, he felt powerful. And I, that was my season two and three are going to be really good when I first watched this because the power struggle and, and that feeling of power, I've always felt Will was going to have to deal with. Right. Yeah. So I, I really like, I love all of their little interactions. Um, you know, I'm alone. I'm here with you. I'm sorry. I brought you into this. I came on my own. Thanks for inviting me. Right. Like all of those little <laughs> quotes, I think were great, but I love the nothing on the menu is vegetarian. Andy, that's bon appetit. Right. That's such a great line too. Yeah. And how have we not talked about the food? <laughs> okay. Well, okay. We'll take a second whole, and talk about the, the whole, food. every episode is like French cuisine, right? The, yeah. The have we gone? Well, an hour and a half into this and we didn't even bring it up till now like jesus how the hell did that happen yeah i guess because there's so much to unpack in this there's so yeah. much here and yeah the food looks amazing mm -hmm. i don't know another tv show other than like food shows cooking shows where food looks so amazing did did they have did, did they mention anything about did they have like a um someone that was like guy fieri yes. in the corner like helping him out Who no was it was jose andres, andres. was it yeah. really yeah oh that's fantastic and they yeah. went to great lengths like um there's an episode where he's peeling these grapes and it's blood red on the inside and and these grapes only grow in a specific region on the other side of the world and they have a very short growing season and they had to be like flown in especially for that one scene that lasts like 10 seconds where we see him peeling back the skin of this grapes. You know what I mean? And they're only used for garnish, but they they really spared no extra. I don't know what their budget was, but their food budget was a good chunk of that overall budget because they, they went through a lot of pains to get each scene exactly the way that Brian Fuller envisioned it. I mean, he he had specific things he wanted and and they made it happen. You know, it's it's crazy. But um oh, just just watching him even though you know what's in that food <laughs> and you wouldn't want to eat it, it's beautiful. It's uh oh, the art direction in this show, it's astounding. Yeah. And and in in interviews since then Jose Andreas has, has talked about the collaboration that they did of like preparing the menu and like coming up with like, what are the great ideas that we could do with all of this and talked about how it was really, really collaborative. And then like they would have people on set, either him or someone else to like help Mads with like close up knife work. So that he's like really, really like you have to chop the garlic just like this to like give it this specific effect. And Hannibal would know that and real foodies are watching. So like make sure that like that's how you slice the garlic and that's what you're doing. So um, it just yeah, not only spare no expense, like 
really, really exquisite just attention to detail. And it really shows. I mean, it's like this show was like stomach turning because at the same time, it's like, oh, my gosh, that looks so good. And I know there's not people in that. But the idea is maybe there's people in it. And like now I kind of want to eat it. But like, and is that is that what it is? It is it the visceral reaction why they spent so much time on it? I mean, because you could have done it feasibly with with half of that right but like melissa said those are meticulous scenes you know what i mean like to the to the t everything is perfect and i don't know when i first was watching i'm like are they just dinking around like are they having fun and then andy i wondered if it was that just oh viscerally i'm so engrossed in this scene and then i'm also grossed out by the scene right (laughs) yeah So I didn't know if it was just a visceral, you know, Melissa, I don't know what I I kind of felt like that's what they were doing. I felt like it was character building because you you use the word meticulous. That's Hannibal, right? He he, like, like think about um, before he kills, he puts on that plastic suit. That is is meticulous because some people would just put on a trash bag or some footies or whatever. He had a plastic suit designed to fit over his suit. Yeah. Yeah. So that he could, with enough room to move around, but with no openings where he would get contaminated on his suit or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a person who has thought things through. It, meticulous is the absolute best word to use for that. Um, we'll, I was thinking how that would be like the best Comic Con outfit for right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm going to wear a designer suit with a plastic suit over right. it. Oh, it's safe. Oh but pull God. up in a food truck, the Hannibal food truck. You right. Can, I mean, oh, it'd be perfect. <laughs> oh, my God. It, Sorry it, to interrupt, Melissa. But yeah. No, but can you imagine That's the puns you could come up with for your menu? I mean, like, oh, that yeah. would be amazing, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, but I, I, I felt like the cooking was an extension of his character because, you know, it, it sort of showed us who he was. It's so meticulous. And then, like, you know, how it's not just the cooking and they show us how exacting he is, but even in the way he slices a piece of meat and then, like, gets a little bit of, like, the the dice, you know, the diced um, onions or potatoes or wherever it was on the side, just the perfect little amount before he brings it his fork to his mouth you know what i'm saying like all of it was i mean he he's just he's so studious about even just the size of the bite you know what i mean like he, right. he's not gonna stuff his face um every little detail was meant to build his character because this is a even before this show this is a world famous character right you say hannibal people think lecter right that's probably the first thing they're thinking of they're not thinking of like ancient history or something you know what i mean like they're thinking of of hannibal lecter um and yet despite that this is a character who's had very little character building over the many movies and in in uh you know the the different actors who've played him because he doesn't have a lot of screen time his fame is outsized compared to his actual screen time in in this franchise um which you know goes back to the hero worship thing i i've i've always talked about with him but uh this is the first time we get to see true character building it reminded me um 
of uh did y'all watch a show Bates Motel when it was on? Uh, I did not watch it. I heard good things, but it, yeah, it's never... really good. It, it's basically um it's sort of the origin story of of um Norman from Norman Psycho. Bates. Norman yeah. Bates, yeah. But really like that's what it's set up to be, but really it's Norma Bates's uh origin story in a way mm. his mother who we only knew as like this mummified body in all of the <laughs> psycho movies, right? Um, we get to see her alive and maybe not well exactly, but we get to see her alive and we get to see, I mean, this iconic character from these movies who was always dead, all of a sudden she's alive and a human breathing human being. And, you know, that's the first time we got to see it. it I feel like that's what's happening with Hannibal is that, you know, we finally get to see this character and, and all the cooking and all the, you know, extracting the organs, even the kills themselves, all of it is just character building. And, and we're just not used to that with him. That's what I think that's maybe the thing that makes this show so great. You know, well, there's a lot of things that make it great, but that's the biggest one for me. Well, and, you know, you talk about it being character building and, and I have to correct myself. Something I said, we like, well, we don't know. Is he eating people? Is he not? We we see it in the first episode because when he does the copycat kill, then and they're like, oh, he removed her lungs, but he disrespects her. He doesn't, you know, he thinks of her as a pig. This is, you know, he hates her versus you know the minnesota shrike who respects the the women that he's killing for some reason and and then we see hannibal like massaging this like pair of lungs and like slicing them up and doing all the um like uh adding wine to the pan and uh flambéing it and it's just like it it is it's a it's a huge character moment where it's like oh okay we know he's doing this he's taunting will graham and that's that's what this is going to be about and he gets to kill someone who he thought was rude and and eat her lungs for because i guess that's a good thing to eat i don't know i don't know what's good eating on people lungs, <laughs> i guess um but he knows how to prepare them, sure. Anyway, but yeah, but it goes to character. And that's what that's what's so great is all of these things are packaged together so neatly. And um Hannibal's food is an extension of it. And it's 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 just it's done so extremely well. It's awesome. Um, okay. Galen did send me their favorite one-liners and quotes too, All right. um, which uh, some of which we we touched on the um, the nothing here is uh, is vegetarian. Uh, they had that one too, but then uh, JB along with the the church collapse one, uh, killing must feel good to God too. He does it all the time, and are we not created in God's image? Yep. Um, Galen's yeah, favorite. that's the begin. I think that's the beginning of that quote because it's such a great kind of pseudo back and forth between the two of them. It's a great yeah. part. 
uh, then you wouldn't like me when I'm psychoanalyzed. Uh, now I have to go give a lecture on great. psychoanalysis. Yeah. That's a that's a fun little. And then uh, let's see, uh, I have no taste for animal cruelty. That's why I employ an ethical butcher. Um, yeah, that was good. Uh, which I mean, we could talk about that. That the whole like, oh well. He gets his foie gras ethically sourced, meaning that the geese are not, you know, force fed uh, before they die. They're just given a natural death. It's like the the whole idea of the ethical butcher, I think, again, it goes to character and nobody says anything about it. But then Bella's just like, yeah, what, what bullshit? <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, and uh, and then of course what what he says when he's giving um, Will the the scramby eggs. I'm very careful about what I put into my body, which means I end up preparing most meals myself. <laughs> Blood sausage. Blood sausage. Um, those were those were Galen's favorite. Ones. Good. Those are good ones. Yeah, those are good yeah. ones. Um, okay, best side character. You already said it, Melissa. Scott yeah. Thompson. Yeah. No, I said Beverly. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, you said. Oh, okay. I, uh, I, I, but I was commenting on, you know, the lab people in general. But, but yeah, she's my favorite out of all of them. She's your favorite. Oh, okay. I, I got, stand very much for. Her. And I've got Jillian Anderson. And I think I go with Alana. Nice. Um. Really. So yeah. I, I, I like her. It's harder in a series to know what a side character is, right? Yeah, right? she definitely kind of steps up to main character. Later yeah. Later. I mean, because all of them are great. I, to me, it's like the lab, you know, the lab people and some of the one-offs are, um, I don't know what a side is, right? Because I, I think Alana, maybe in season one, you're right, Andy, and then um, season two and three become more of a main character in that regard also shout out winston great side character <laughs> the dogs yeah yes um i don't think there were any songs in this right there isn't a best song um <laughs> great score yeah excellent. i mean we definitely have to like a great tv score okay is this a good tv show yes yeah exceptional yeah uh is the main character a good person? <laughs> I mean, who's the main character? Yeah. Even even in the opening credits, they credit both uh, Mads and and what's his real name? Hugh Dancy. Yeah, together on the same at the same time, which you know doesn't happen all the time. It's pretty. That's weird. the question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is the main is the main character of this show the eponymous Hannibal? I, I kind he's, of he's not I, good. I kind of think it's it's more will show. I, I don't know because I, I mean I know it's called Hannibal, but I, I feel like if you called it Will Graham, nobody would have watched, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or Manhunter. Yeah. 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 Um but but none of this really happens if it wasn't for Will, you know, in a sense, because um, and I mentioned this earlier, how he, he's the only one who could catch him, really, you know, um, who yeah. had a chance of figuring out what what and who he is before Jillian Anderson came in, of course. But 
Um, I don't know. I sort of think it's a little more his show than Hannibal's. Um, yeah. And know. he's definitely supposed to be the point of view character. He's the character that we, the audience, are supposed to identify with. Yeah. yeah. Um, that we're experiencing things as Will does. And so uh, if that is the question, then yes, I think at this point, Will Graham is a good person. We will see in season two <laughs> and three. Yeah, I mean, based on season one, he is. And then it depends on how you view good, I guess, throughout. And he is better much... than the other option, for sure. Yeah. And how much you view of, like, is he a victim of, I don't know, brainwashings, maybe, too? Yeah. Heavy a term, but um, how much agency does he have? And I don't know. We'll get we'll get into that when we get into seasons two and three. Yeah. Be, I'm excited oh, for the next question you're going to ask, though. <laughs> Should you show this to children? <laughs> <laughs> I think we already talked about this. Get him out of the house. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Oh my goodness. No. Gather around, children. Santa Claus is coming tonight. But for beforehand, let's watch some Hannibal. Let's watch. Let's watch the the angel episode. Let's watch the. What? I don't know. Is there is there a goriest part here that is most disturbing to all of you? Is it the angels? Is it? I mean I that know. that that was pretty severe. I mean because. I remember watching that and thinking, who the hell comes up with this in their head? Like, yeah. who imagines that? You know? Um, and I didn't think that necessarily of, of any of the other Mercy. Well, actually, no, I thought of that too on the beach with the pile of. With the totem pole. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. who would even think of that? Good God, you I know? I don't know that any of them viscerally affect me until Melissa, the one you mentioned in season two. That was the one where I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to walk away. Take a break. <laughs> yeah. Because like and then they go into it, right? Like, oh, you freeze and then you do. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to watch the rest of this part because, you know, not only is it a person that you're invested in but how yeah. it's done you're like oh yeah come on yeah but yeah. i think the other ones i, I, I mean I, I i think even the original hannibal movies were a little more grotesque in some of the murders right um and i think these were shot in some cases a little more tastefully the totem was out of control though so i mean yeah that might have yeah. been the only one but I, nothing until season two uh, that season two one i went oh that's this may be the only one i've ever like paused in t television history and had to walk away because it was so upsetting yeah that yeah. one in the color palette for me but only because the color palette in season two re reminded me a little too much of the human centipede and i was like oh i gotta oh, yeah, oh, yeah, anything that reminds me of that movie i gotta stop <laughs> i wish Good i'd never God. seen that damn movie <laughs> that movie yeah, yeah, don't watch the human side. We're not, yeah, we're not doing that as a franchise, please. No. no. Thank you. No. No, no, no. <laughs> the kibosh on that one. Like, Hannibal is my limits. Like, I think that's the, 
and the and the only reason is it's interesting what they're doing even though there's violence like human centipede it's like what the yeah no okay um well that's a lot of fun uh hey a a strong uh counterpoint to this that is nothing at all like it melissa for your birthday next week we are watching barfy tell us about barfy and why we want to watch this movie so um this is a an indian movie that uh came out i I actually think around the time of this show though (laughs) around the same time and i found out about it through a podcast um uh it was one of those things that somebody had mentioned and they said it was on netflix i was like okay i'll try this and um it's it's kind of a bittersweet love story um it's very like especially at the beginning there's a lot of fun it's very funny there's a lot of um i think the thing that that really stuck with me was that that the main actor he he's very much like charlie chaplin with the physical comedy and because he's um deaf and and pretty much a mute uh you know he it just sort of takes that charlie chaplin thing to the next level just because Charlie Chaplin was in silent movies mostly, you know, so he, he, even though he, you know, he could talk, we didn't hear anything. And so the same thing with Barfy. And so he relies on physical comedy, which is just really fun. And you just don't see physical comedy that much anymore, especially like this. Um, And it turns into this love story that's really beautiful, that spans decades. And um I don't know. It's just one of those movies that I turn on when I need to be cheered up, even though the end makes me cry. And I'm warning you now, have a hanky ready, okay? Because the ending will probably make you cry a little. Um, but it's just so much. It, it's 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 just a really beautiful movie. I, I, I don't know. It, it makes me happy, mostly, until the end. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful love story overall. And... Um, not it's just not like any movie i remember seeing because mostly because of that physical comedy well i am so excited about this ever since you mentioned it because it seems like such a good way to break up all of this Mm. death and violence yeah (laughs) and uh you know add a little add a little something that is out of the ordinary yeah. And she's, I'm sure she's classing up the joint. <laughs> You're classing us up. I like yeah. it. Yep. I, nobody's ever heard of this when I mention it to them, you know, and they're like, what? And the name puts off some people because, you know, it sounds like throw up. But then Barfy is not <laughs> like Barfy. I mean, it's just it's the name of the main character. Um, just remember, it's a different culture, y'all. Um, yeah. So, you know, they will have names that sound weird to us. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for y'all. I think you said, Andy, that y'all, you already watched the first few minutes or something. Yeah. I just Um, like turned it on. It was, I'm like, oh, okay. This is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Or you were just checking it out to make sure it wasn't going to be boring or something. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, not at all. I'm like, I want (laughs) to, I'm like, oh, okay, well let's, let's see. Well, okay. The real reason is, um, because of my stupid ADD brain is I knew that if I started watching it, then Netflix would remind me that like, I need to finish it. Uh And that way it would be easy for me to find in the future. So 
that that's that's my uh uh but it was also you know just just fun to start off with so yeah yeah awesome well really looking forward to that uh we'll do that next week everybody have a awesome time thanks for thanks for being here okay bye everybody Thank you, that will be all. God damn it, that's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye.